Well, welcome everybody, and we're into uh, the gospel, and we're in part 15 actually this week. So you guys have got a bit of catching up to do, but never mind. And over the last few weeks, we've been seeing that the scriptures uh, declare that there was a first resurrection. Remember that. We're going to review a little bit here just for a, a number of people's benefit. But we specifically last week, we looked at outer darkness, didn't we? And we looked at what our outer darkness was and who's going to end up there. And we saw it was God's redeemed that are going to end up in outer darkness, so clearly from the scriptures. And we saw it's going to be the unfaithful redeemed. That's so important that we understand that. It's the unfaithful redeemed that Jesus Christ was addressing. It wasn't those outside the church. Yeah, and so often we thought that it's those outside that are going to get the repercussions of their disbelief and their disobedience. But it's actually the redeemed because God's focus is totally on the redeemed. Yeah, we saw that right at the beginning of the series when we looked at who is the gospel addressed to. Who was Jesus Christ addressing the gospel to? He, was, he said that he came only initially to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a massive clue there for us who he was focused on. He was focused on the redeemed, but there were those who were wandering off. And these are the ones he was trying to get back on track. Yeah? And we're clear now what it is, what Jesus Christ's kingdom is. And that he determines, because remember that narrow gate, he's the gatekeeper, he's determining who comes in. Not our theology, not what we believe, not even what we think. Because remember these people on the outside of the gate shouting, Lord, Lord, I'm thinking, I'm out here thinking I'm supposed to get in, and you're telling me I'm locked out. Remember that? And he turned around to them and said, yeah, you are locked out, you are my redeemed, but you didn't come in the direction that I told you to come. And bear in mind, he's told us how to come. Yeah? We've been in Matthew 7, looking at this narrow gate. Matthew chapter 5 starts it out, and he goes through what process you and I have to live through to make the necessary changes in our life to make it through that narrow gate. And these guys are standing outside shouting, Lord, Lord, I've done the manifestations. I've spoken in tongues. I've spoken in tongues with interpretation. I've prophesied. I've done faith, miracles, healing. I've done a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. What am I doing out here? And he said, you didn't come in the direction I told you. So there's no excuse. Though it's revealed in the scriptures, Jesus Christ spelled it out in the scriptures, this is how to make it through that narrow gate. And we're going to see it again today. Because he didn't make it difficult, guys. He wants us all to make it. And we're going to start out in Matthew 18. Because he said, did you hear that? He said, not Ian McMillan said, not your favorite TV theologian or televangelist in his Armani suit said, he said it. So when you hear his words, what are we hearing? The truth. So what we're going to read here, as difficult as it is to accept, because all of our theology, mostly the background we're coming from, tells us something different. Well, you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to go with the theology that you think is correct? Or are you going to go by the words of the Lord? Mm-hmm. No, where am I? <laughs> I know where am I come up with this. To what he said. Yeah. Because guess what? Almost every time he came out with something, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm telling you the truth. And we still don't get it. Because we think we're going to read a book about this. We think we've got to go onto the internet and listen to somebody else telling us what the truth is, we can 
go by his words and his words alone. Look at Matthew 18.1. And this is one we've uh, looked at a couple of times. But it's so important because if we don't get this, guess what? We're going to be outside the gate shouting, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say to us, you heard Matthew 18. Yeah? Why didn't you do it? Because remember, these guys who are outside the gate are redeemed. They're God's people. But they didn't do what he was asking them to do. They did what they thought was important. Because what, what did they throw at him? We did many mighty works in your name, Jesus. And he says, I couldn't care less. You didn't come the way I asked you to come. And you're outside now for an undetermined period of time in outer darkness. Matthew 18.1 And at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked. Fantastic key. Ask! <laughs> yeah? They asked some phenomenal questions. But look at this phenomenal question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we're absolutely clear now what the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is. It's Christ's earthly reign on this earth when he returns. Verse 2. And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I te- oh, hold on. I tell you the truth. Did you catch that? <laughs> So what we're going to hear here is the truth. Unless you change. Got it? It doesn't say unless you hold your hand up in a meeting. Unless you say Jesus is Lord of my life. And I believe he was raised from the dead. He says unless you change. What does he say then? And become like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Decoupage. That wherever you like. Because that's truth. That's truth. So it doesn't matter what your theology says. It doesn't matter what you have believed for years. Like I have 30 odd years of my life. Unless I change. (laughs) Guess what? I'm never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it take to get that through my thick head? A lot, I can tell you. It really does. Because I've got to drop all the stuff. That I've been taught throughout the years about what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. And I've got to accept what he said. What did he say? Unless you change. Like that child, you'll never make. Yeah? And then he says, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. Look at this. It's the greatest. Now, we've got to immediately be asking ourselves, what does that mean? What do the scriptures say I have to do to humble myself? That is not becoming a doormat for Jesus. And everybody rubs their feet on you. That is not what it's talking about. We've got to read the context. And guess what? We're not going to do that today. Because we don't have the time. But read it in the context. Because you'll see that one of the massive things in the context is living the scripture. Living the word with our brethren. Humbling ourselves is a massive part of that. It's forgiveness. It's huge in the scripture. Yeah? And we've been seeing that for weeks now as what it's going to take to enter through that narrow gate. Forgiveness is a huge part of that. Yeah? But are we, are we really clear on what much of the world's theology is saying? It's, it's the same lie that we looked at. Remember the other week there? That the core I was talking about. He says, don't worry about changing. Moses, Aaron, what the heck are you talking about? This congregation is holy. They're righteous. That's what holy means. They're righteous. They're okay. And not only that, but God is among them. 
Was that true? Absolutely not. It was a lie. But that's the world's theology. You don't need to change. All you need to do is come to church regularly. All you need to do is put your hand up in the meeting and you'll be okay. You'll make it into that kingdom. No, you won't. Why? Because we just read it. Unless you change. Yeah? You're not going to make it. And neither did they. Because the next day, a few hours later, God, who was supposed to be among them, swallowed them up in the ground. DJ and I were talking about that last night and Don. The ground just opened up, swallowed them up. They're screaming alive into the hole. Whack! The ground closes again. They're out of existence. Was God among them? Absolutely not. Korah saying he was? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to make up our mind. The scriptures are true, not what people say about the scriptures. That's why you don't need books to understand the scripture. You need the book. You need, the, you need to get your head into the book. Not what people are saying about it. Biggest challenge in my life has been throwing out all the other books and getting the book in front of my eyes and starting to understand it. And the minute you start doing that, you'll be amazed at the clarity of how the scriptures just open up to you in a fantastic way. Now, do you realize that that same lie has been taught in the congregations today? Because they're teaching people that they're holy. They're teaching people that they're righteous. There's nothing they can do to stop getting through that narrow gate. That is a total cross-purposes to what Jesus Christ taught. Yeah? He said, unless you... What? Change. <laughs> unless you change. Do you realize he is the author and finisher of our faith? He's not a historical prophet in the Hebrew Scriptures that we can ignore. We've got to understand that he's the author and finisher of our faith and that we have to change in line with his words. Not in line with theology. Not in line with what we've been taught. Not in line with what we think. But what does he say? So, so important. Now, the reason we're going into Corinthians today it's because of a lot of that background. Yeah. Corinthians was written predominantly and essentially as a reproof epistle to the church of Corinth. They weren't getting it right. <laughs> yeah. They were not listening to what the scriptures were saying. They felt they needed to go outside the scriptures and elaborate on what the scriptures were saying through error. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul confronting this church at Corinth. And the reason I'm going into this today is because we've been dealing with Korah over the last couple of weeks and understanding why people don't make it into that kingdom. And they don't make it because of arrogance predominantly. They're shouting outside the gate, saying, we're right, Jesus, you're not right, we're right. The way we came is okay. He's saying, no, it's not. That's why you're locked out. Remember the foolish virgins. Yeah? Five of them made it into the kingdom, five of them didn't. How do you reconcile that? They didn't make the proper and adequate preparation. When? Now. Now is the time. Now is the day. It's preparation is not coming when he comes back and you're in the front of the judgment seat and you're there walking up with your file box full of excuses as to why you didn't do what he said. Do you realize, and we're going to get into it in a second, when we see the judgment seat and what that's all about. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a fantastic chapter here. Because it nails just what we've been talking about. Yeah? Arrogance and presumption is a huge, huge, massive problem in the church. 
Because they're presuming they are what they aren't. Yeah? Just like Korah and the congregation. Yeah? First Corinthians 4 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Christ is a Messiah. Every time you read the word Christ, he wasn't Mr. Christ. That wasn't his surname. He didn't get letters coming to his tent. Oh, Mr. Christ. He was Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. It's a title. Yeah? His parents weren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. You've got to get that into our head. That it's a title of heirship. Yeah? He's going to be, he's a title to the heir. Same way as us. When you use the word sons. That is not a genealogy term. You're not a son of God because you've been given a seed of God. You're titled to an heir. The heir of the kingdom that's coming up if you're deemed worthy at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah? But look at what the first thing he emphasizes. We're servants. Yeah? Do you realize you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ unless you serve? Don't sit your duff all week thinking, oh man, I love Jesus. No, you don't. If you don't serve the body, you don't love Christ. And get, we've got to get that through our thick heads. I'm talking about self here. I've got to get that through my thick head. Yeah? That unless I'm serving the body, I'm not serving Him. You may think you are, because you turn up at church for an hour every Sunday, and you throw a few dollars into the offering. Yeah? And your conscience is clear. Oh, I, I, I love Jesus. No, you don't. You may think you do, but you don't. Because of what? What's the first thing Paul emphasizes? I'm a servant. I'm here to serve. And believe me, if you don't serve now, you're not going to serve in the kingdom. Because you probably won't get there without doing what he said. Yeah? Going through the narrative. And look at that. Stewards are the mysteries of God. Yeah? So do we see what the priority was in terms of Paul telling the church at Corinth, I'm number one, a servant. I'm number two, a steward. Yeah? That's what he was emphasizing. That's what he was bringing about his credibility. Because remember when we saw that, I think it was last week or the week before, yeah, when Jesus said to, the, to his followers, and he said to those uh, outside, he said to some of them, he said, oh, yeah, I remember you, you, you gave me a drink. You visited me in jail. Yeah, you helped me when I was sick. I'm not going around scratching your head. What's he all about? <laughs> Never don't remember that. When you do it to them, when you do it to the faithful, those walking in the will of the Father, you do it to me. That brings on a totally different perspective when I do something for you, Don. When I do something for you, Emily. I'm not doing it necessarily just for you. I'm doing it for him. That's his perspective. Boy, that changes your mind, doesn't it? You want to serve them, don't you? Because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we should be doing it. It's fantastic. But look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required. This is not optional, is it? It's required. It's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Absolute requirement. Verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing. Now remember why we're getting into this section. We're going to look at the arrogance and the presumption in the church at Corinth as to how they were blowing themselves up to be something they weren't. And there's a bit of a clue when he starts going on about service. And that being required that you've got to serve one another. Because they weren't doing that. Yeah? So, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any 
human code. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, do you think they were judging? <laughs> you think he brought that up for absolutely no reason? They were judging each other, weren't they? And verse 4, For I am not aware of anything about, against myself, but I am not hereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It is who? There's the Apostle Paul understanding that he is going to get judged. But the church today don't think they're going to get judged because Jesus Christ hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm okay. I'm holy. Yeah? And the Lord is with me. That doesn't negate the judgment seat. Yeah? We're going to see that as we go through this. And he makes something very clear, doesn't he? There's one who is going to do the judging. And let's leave it at that. Don't judge each other. Don't worry about those outside of the church or inside of the church. God and Jesus Christ will take care of the judging. <laughs> yeah? You don't need to jump the gun. Look at verse 5. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. We should be asking ourselves, what time? When he comes to do the judging. We're going to see it in a second. It's in Romans 14.10, but we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5.10 in a minute. Right? Do not judge before the time, before the Lord comes. You see the way you can just read the scripture and understand this stuff. And who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Yeah? So we have to understand this verse in light of what we saw last week, didn't we? Each one being judged for the good and the evil. Yeah? So look at verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us, now watch this, not, I've got in capitals in your notes, not to go beyond what is written. Boy, would that empty the libraries of the world, theological world today. Don't listen to anything except what's written. You could close down most of the seminaries tomorrow. Seriously. Because they're not going to what's written in the most part. They're going to what everybody else says about it. If you took every commentary out of the theological places of this world, you'd have a whole empty building. Because that's what they're focused on. Not what the scripture says, but what does Dr. So-and-so say about that? And he'll tell us the truth about it. No, not necessarily. Now he might shed some light on it, but Jesus Christ told us earlier, I'm telling you the truth. When you listen to me, you're getting the truth. Pure vanilla. Unadulterated. Undiluted. You can trust me. And I do. And you do as well. Yeah. So don't go beyond what's written. That none of you may be what? Puffed up. There's a real clue there for all of us. When you go outside of what's written, you and I are in danger of getting puffed up. Why? Because theology is introduced. People's idea as to what the scripture is saying is introduced. And you start to get puffed up. What does that mean? Good sentiment. In favor of one against another. You see the outcome of getting puffed up? That you end up one against another. Yeah? You get into all the arguments. 38,000 different denominations today. All arguing about the same verses. But what does the church so often do? It goes beyond what's written. Yeah, we cannot afford to do that. But the real challenge for all of us is that we've been taught what is written, we've put it into our hearts, we've committed our lives to it, 
We've spent years and years and years teaching others about it. And then we get to the end of that and realize, hold on, it's not what's in the scripture. And then you've got to jump off that train that we've been talking about, which is going in the wrong direction. And you've got to change. We read it earlier, didn't we? It's a good thing. When you're going by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not negative. But it takes a whole pile of meekness and humble as a heart to do it. And it ain't easy. But you know why? We know that. Because Jesus said, said to get through this narrow gate, ain't going to be easy. You should be shouting, hallelujah. I think I found this gate because it's really tough. <laughs> if it's really easy for you, if, it's, if life's a breeze for you, you're really going to be asking yourself some questions. I don't think I'm on the right track. Jesus said it wasn't going to be like this. I spent 30 odd years of my life telling people they believe in Jesus is going to be easy. They're going to have all the money they want. They're going to have all the health they want. They're going to get to heaven when they die. No. But it ain't easy to change. But we've got to do it. Why? Because if we don't do it, we're not going to get through that narrow gate. We're going to be like these redeemed guys shouting on the outside of the kingdom. Hold on, Jesus. I should be in there. He said, yeah, you should. If you'd done what I asked you to do, you would be. So, so key. They became puffed up. And we're going to see this type of arrogance yeah, that has so infiltrated the church today. Did you hear that? This puffing up of knowledge is so prevalent that you go and teach this stuff to people, they'll call you a heretic. And I've been called that. Teaching the words of what Jesus said and you end up a heretic. Now, hold on. There's, there's a bit of a clue there when he, they're calling him the son of Satan. They'll often call you what they are themselves. So puffed up comes from a word, air bellows. You got that picture? You don't use air bellows today, do you? Inflated by blowing. You ever blown up an air bed? <laughs> yeah? Obviously have with our mouth elastic out there. Yeah? Swelled up like an egotistical person spewing out arrogance. Yeah, you got that picture? Go and talk to the redeemed and tell them they're going to get judged. And see the spewing out of arrogance that you will see. Because they'll tell you, oh no, no. When God looks at me, he looks at Jesus Christ. Wow. I wish that was true. (laughs) He doesn't. He looks at you at who you are. He looks at you as somebody who is sinning. Let's call it nothing else. I mean, look at your last week of life. Look at the thoughts that went through your head. Yeah, These aren't thoughts that went through Jesus' head. These weren't actions that he took. And what are you getting judged for in the judgment seat if he's looking at Jesus? Because we're going to read it in a second. Good and evil we're getting judged for. Yeah? If you're going to get back to the scriptures. Look at verse 7. For who sees ever, anything different in you? No, just watch the way Paul's building this. He started off with service. He started off telling them, don't go beyond what's written. You're listening, Corinth. And then he starts to build this. What do you have? What what do you have that you did not receive? He's trying to bring them down a peg, isn't he? He's trying to say, hold on a minute. You think you're great? You think you're righteous? You think you're blown? What did you ever get that you didn't receive from God? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. This is what he was hearing. All your needs are met. You'll get everything you want. Just believe in Jesus and everything will come your way. 
He's going to nail this in this section of scripture in a fantastic way. And he said, already. Look, watch the sarcasm you see here that Paul's using. Oh, you saying already you have become rich? Because he's going to use the example of his own life in a second. But showed them something totally different. But they were sitting in the church saying, oh, we've got all we want. Oh, we've got all we need. And we're rich in Christ. And then he says, without us, you have become kings. What were they saying? We're going to rule and reign with Christ. We don't need you. And he said, without us, you think you're reigning as kings. Do you understand that most Christians do today think they're already got it all? They've been told from the pulpits of this world, don't worry. You've got it all. It's all in that package. Just turn up and you'll get a nice pat on the back from Jesus Christ. The pat on the back is going to be a bit lower down. Yeah, really. When we see Jesus Christ coming back. So why does you become kings? And would that you did reign. Look at this. And would that you did reign. Paul said. I really wish that was true. So that we could share that rule with you. <laughs> now if there's anybody that's going to be ruling. I would put my money on Paul. And not these guys. When you read about the rest of Corinth. And what they were doing. Yeah? But he said to them. I wish that was true guys. And I, and I, would, I would tap into what you're tapping into. You know, sometimes you talk to these guys and you think, is this the same Bible they're reading? Is this the same God that I read in the Scriptures? Because we talked there a minute ago about Korah. God opening up the earth, swallowing them up, and closing it. And they say, oh yeah, but that's the way God was in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. But he's not like that today. And then you go to the verse and say, hold on, God doesn't change. God is always righteous. But that dispensational theology screws up your head. Massively. Because you can't put the scriptures together. You may think you are, but you're not. Because it's one God unchanging throughout all of time. It's one gospel unchanging throughout all of time. It's one Lord Jesus Christ unchanging through all of time. You're not changing because you have a dispensational guy in the 18th century who says, hold on, this is a good idea. Because God did that in the Old Testament, this must be a different God because he's handling these people differently. Please. Paul here is showing them don't be so arrogant and puffed up and think you have it all before you get judged by the Lord remember that's a context he's saying the Lord's going to do the judging you think you've already been judged because you're saying you're rich you're saying you're not poor you're saying you're ruling with Christ hold on don't get so puffed up because the judgment day is coming now there's a bit of clue what we're getting into today the great white throne of judgment but that is not for you and I. We've already dealt with the judgment seat in the previous couple of weeks of what we're coming to in that first resurrection. We'll touch on, we'll touch on it a little bit. But look at this, verse 9. And look at this. For I think that God has ex- exhibited us apostles as last of all. Do you see that? He's shown us, God has shown us to be last of all. How? Like men sentenced to death. Now, how many people would you get coming into your church service if on your billboard outside you said, Welcome aboard. Come on in. I'll sentence you to death. You don't need a lot of chairs. And that's what he said. Because we have become a spectacle to the world. To angels and to men. Now, do you see what Paul does here next? 
Now bear in mind, this is the greatest apostle that ever walked the face of the earth. He got more revelation of the scriptures than any other apostle. That's who we're dealing with. And he's saying, I'm last of all. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. But why is Paul seeming to put himself down here? Because actually he's the greatest in our eyes. But he's saying to them, I'm last of all. And we're going to keep this background in mind here. The backdrop here is those we've been reading about are all puffed up, aren't they? About what they already have. And they're thinking that they already have it all. He's telling the church at Corinth, quit getting puffed up. There's a judgment day coming. I, the greatest apostle, he is the greatest apostle, but he's saying I'm last of all. You need to get some humbleness, you need to get some meekness of heart and mind, and realize you're heading for the judgment seat. And you're going to have to bring about some change. We're going to see it as we move on here. And not to be so arrogant. Yeah? But just look at what Paul says next. Verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. So he's using the comparison of as to the greatest apostle of all time. Because they're telling him, we know it all. Their arrogance, their puffed up knowledge was telling the apostle Paul, that they had to become like him, like a fool for Christ. And that's so much of what we'll have to become. We have to virtually come to the scriptures and say, I'm going to have it start with a blank bit of paper here and start to understand what Jesus Christ was on about when he talked about the narrow gate, when he talked about that change. Don't get arrogant and think that what you know and what you're taught is right unless yeah, it ties into the scripture. But look at the next thing he says. But we are weak. Unlike you, you're strong. Now bear in mind, this is a reproof epistle to Corinthians because they were so screwed up. And he's saying, we're weak, but you, oh yeah, you are so strong, aren't you? <laughs> you're held in honor. But look at us. We're in disrepute. That's what's going to happen, guys. When you teach this message of the kingdom, you're not going to be held in honor. You're going to be held in disrepute. Why? Because you're bringing the congregation to task. Just like Moses did. Just like Aaron did. The congregation is not holy. The congregation is not, doesn't have God among them. They just think they do so often. Now, he's not saying in verse 10, by the way, oh, we the apostles, we're idiots. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that humbleness of mind, that meekness that's so critical to all of us, in order to understand the scriptures. Yeah? Verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. Do you want that up on the billboard? Yeah? We're poorly dressed. You guy outside the church with the Armani suit on, take it off. Come in here and we'll get you poorly dressed. He's jumping into his Porsche. You can hear him now. And driving off. Looking for another church. I don't like the message in that church. Yeah. But look, you see this. Paul's not trying to win them over, is he, with sweet talk? He's saying, look, to this present hour, we're starving. We're thirsty. We're poorly dressed. And we're not only that, but we're getting buffeted. We're getting 39 stripes. They're trying to kill us. We're running about the, the countryside. And they're chasing us to kill us. And we're homeless. Get that up on your billboard. You'll be alone standing inside. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah? Sounds so attractive, doesn't it? It sounds like hell. 
on earth. And that's what turned up for these guys. When they taught the truth, it didn't get easier. When you teach the truth, it doesn't get easier. If it does, guaranteed 100%, you're not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he said it wouldn't be. And Paul here is too absolutely indicating how the standard of life that's likely to come your way, not necessarily tomorrow, but in, as you continue in this truth, it's likely to come our way. Now the next thing Paul nails in the leadership were those who did not work, <laughs> yeah, but tried to take advantage of the brethren. Yeah? Look at verse 12. And we labor, yeah, we're working. <laughs> we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Look at the response of this guy. We have become and are, are still like the scum of the world. And the church of corn sitting there saying, oh, oh, we're rich. We're eating well. What's up with him? He needs to get his act together with God. He's so out of fellowship, he, can't, he doesn't have a proper suit. He doesn't even have a place to put his head. Does that remind you of anybody? He said to the multitude, Oh, multitude, you're following me. I don't have a place to put my head. Now, we're down to a small crowd now. You can hear the camels hitting the dust, can't you? What? We're joining your church, Jesus. I'm looking for a Porsche. Porsche? Porsche? Not sure. <laughs> but can you see that the church membership is reducing here? Yeah? He's telling, he's telling Silas, Silas, Shut down that order to staples for all these chairs. We don't need them anymore. Thought it was going to be a big crowd, but it's turning out to be few. Does that remind you of anybody? <laughs> huh? Paul is showing us you've got to be least of all. Yeah? Now that doesn't mean you pray to God to be homeless. That doesn't mean you sit down and pray together to, to starve. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. He's not trying to ashamed, make them ashamed. But, huge word, to what? Admonish. I'm warning you. If you don't start going by what the scriptures are saying, you're not going to make it. Yeah? He wasn't teaching them a one verse covers all gospel. Do you understand that? There is no record of Paul ever teaching the church, do this verse... And you'll be okay. Wow, wouldn't that be easy? Jesus Christ, when he talked to the rich man, he said, you've got to follow me in the present tense. You've got to get rid of all your riches and you've got to come with me because I don't have a place to put my head. And the guy ran off. But he didn't paint a picture that was going to be easy. Understand? But to admonish, warn you as my beloved children. So you, do you see Paul here, has been, as what he's been warning them about in the context Always read the scripture in the context. We're following through where he talked to them about being servants of Christ. Christ, Messiah. What's he talking about then? The kingdom. You're not a servant of Christ if you're not teaching the kingdom. Why? Because that's what Christ means. It's Messiah of the kingdom. Get it? So all these people talking about Jesus Christ, they're talking about somebody else. Paul talked about it in Galatians. They'll come along using the name of Jesus and teaching another gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the kingdom. 
That's the only thing Jesus Christ spoke about. That's the only thing the Apostle Paul spoke about. What's our inheritance coming up in the kingdom if we're deemed warranted to rule and reign with Christ in that kingdom at the judgment seat of Christ? But how do they come along? And we saw three weeks ago. False prophets who, by the way, the majority of them, you will not be able to tell apart. Why do we know that? Because Jesus said, leave them alone. They're the darnell. They're growing up inside the church. You don't know who they are. I do. And I will take care of them at the end of the age when I send my angels out and gather these darnell. Now that doesn't mean we can't figure some of them out. And we, you can figure some of them out really quickly. Yeah? The first thing you should do to figure them out, are they teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? You've got to get that defined. It's in the series earlier on. Verse 15. Look at this now. For though you have countless guides in Christ, yeah, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? Messiah. Yeah. Every time you read that word, read Messiah into it. And when you read Messiah into it, you cannot disconnect from the kingdom. Because that's what it's all on about. Yeah. You see how central this stuff is to the scripture. Through the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is not a Bible verse. It's not the story of Jesus that we see and hear at Christmas time. You understand? The gospel is what he defined it as. Not what you and I have defined it as. Because most people, up until fairly recently, and me as well, I define the gospel as the Bible. Genesis, Revelation. There you go. The gospel. Now the gospel is contained absolutely in the scriptures. You can't separate them out. But specifically, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's what he defines it as. Not what you define it as. He defines it as his coming reign in the coming kingdom. See? So how many people are hearing the gospel? They're hearing lots of Bible verses. They're hearing lots about Jesus. But they're not listening and hearing to what he was actually talking about. Because he was talking about, guys, you've got to get through this narrow gate. And the only way you're going to get it is by changing. And everybody else on the outside said, no, you don't need to change. You just need to come to church regularly. Stick your hand up in the meeting. Give your heart to Jesus. You ever hear that? You know that's not in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture can you find that. Only use the terms of Scripture. That's why I changed this title of the Great White Throne instead of using the second resurrection. Not used in scripture, the second resurrection. So what am I doing using it? (laughs) Why not use the terms of scripture? Because you know, when you do that, you're not making it up. What about this one? The early church. I've used that for 30 odd years of my life. There's no one in scripture that talks about the early church. Now you may get up early for church like we did today. Yeah? But you're not the early church. What about the late church then? They're the ones walking in late. What about the new birth? There's nothing new about it. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he was talking about something that happened in Ezekiel 36, 37. How far back do you need to go? That's not new. Not in my book. And not in his book. But do you see the way we slip into all this terminology that's outside of the scripture. And what did Paul say earlier? 
don't go beyond what's written. But we slip into these things and we get into these doctrines that just dilute the truth of the scriptures in a phenomenal way. Yeah? And look at verse 16. I urge, now watch this verse. I love this verse. It's really short. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now he's sitting there talking to the church of Corinth. who are sitting there saying, we're rich. We've got loads to eat. Lovely home. Big mansion. And he's telling them, look, I'm getting buffeted. I don't have any food. I don't have any water. I'm getting chased about. People are trying to kill me. Become an imitator of me. On your bike. I don't want that. It's what had, had to be said by a lot of them. Why? Because it doesn't sound great, does it? It sounds horrendous. But do you remember that verse in scripture when Paul was able to say to the church, when you do what I do, the God of peace shall be with you. Have you read the list? Don and I were talking about this last night. The list of stuff that he had to go through. It's horrendous, guys. And was God with him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the scriptures tell us he was. Yeah? But not by our perception of what his life looked like. Look at verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you. So one thing you, when you read remind of the scripture, you know they've heard it before. Don't you? It wouldn't be fair for God to say, I'm reminding you of something you've never heard. I've done that with my kids. And they tell me right away. You never told me that, though. Oh, yes, I did. But your memory as you get older gets worse. You know that. Yeah. So I sometimes forget things. But I remind you. We've got to get reminded, guys. This is not something about teaching something totally new. Yeah? Do you realize how old this gospel that we're talking about is? Abraham! The same gospel was preached to Abraham. How far back do we want to go? It's fantastic. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child of the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Christ! What are you, what's in your mind now? Messiah! Isn't it? He's teaching them the ways of the Messiah. He, so you know immediately when he says that, he's teaching them the kingdom. He's got to be. As I teach them everywhere in every church. Look at what Paul was teaching them in every church. The ways of the Messiah. And we've seen that for weeks now. Matthew 5 onwards. Yeah? Right into Matthew 7 where it talks about that narrow gate and having to squeeze through that narrow gate. It's the ways of the Messiah. Right? The ways that he's showing us that we have to walk through that narrow gate. Yeah? It's fantastic. But do you see what he's, te- what he's preaching you know, he's teaching against their pride. He's teaching against their arrogance. Yeah, and and they're sitting there. Oh, now he's telling us, oh yeah, we're we're. He's telling us we're prideful, we're arrogant, and he's telling us, oh, you follow me. Can you see what's going through their minds? How arrogant does he think he is? He's he's accusing us of being arrogant, but what about his arrogance? Read all that stuff in between the lines. I sometimes do. Yeah. Look at verse ten. Look at this. Yeah. Some are arrogant. As though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people. 
but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love or with a spirit of gentleness? <coughs> now, today we're going to look briefly at the great white, the great white throne of judgment, yeah? depicted in the book of Revelation. And I say briefly for a specific reason. Because God deals with it briefly. Yeah? Don't write a book about this. Right? That's what most people do. If they pick a subject out of the Bible, I'm going to write a book on it. Well, if God doesn't tell us much about it, it's going to be a really thin book. But most of them end up with this kind of thickness of book. Yeah? Why? Because they go outside of the scripture to try and figure it out. And we're not going to do that. We're going to read exactly what's in the scripture. Because remember verse 11. Do not go beyond what is written. Yeah? And we can do that. We could have done it with outer darkness. I could have stood up here and told you what every preacher and every theologian said about outer darkness and never get to what God said about it. We've got to stick to the scripture. We've got to stick to what God says. So, today we're going to go to the great white throne of judgment. And you realize we're not going there. <laughs> yeah? We're going to there in the scripture. But our judgment has already happened. Our judgment has already happened. I want you to quickly go to Daniel 12. And we're going to read a verse there that you should underline in your Bible. Because Daniel 12, when Paul talked to, wrote to Titus 1-2, when he talked about the Ionian life that was promised a long time ago, there was only one place in Scripture Paul could have ever looked at to see that resurrection, that first resurrection. And that was in Daniel 12, where the same word is used, Ionian life, and in verse 2 of Daniel 12, and many... Now, do you, do you, you have to see it's not everybody. It's many. Okay? And we went through this uh, recently, and we did it in our resurrection series as well, where we allow the scripture to determine who these people are. And Paul does it in 1 Corinthians 15. Because he tells us there that when Jesus Christ comes back, all those who belong to him will get raised. So that's what he's referring to. It's not referring to everybody, because it says many. right? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth the dead. Right? Daniel is dealing with the dead. He's not dealing with those who are alive. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he revealed the mystery of what would happen to those who were alive when he came back. When Jesus Christ came back. And here we have it. These to everlasting, age-lasting life. So we've got one resurrection here. And also these to shame and everlasting, age-lasting contempt. So we have one resurrection of the redeemed with two different outcomes. This ties right into Acts 24.15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. Paul was not looking at the book of Revelation. He was looking back. He was an expert in the Hebrew Scriptures. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was looking back to what he previously referred to in Titus, and he was looking at Daniel and saying, yeah, one resurrection, two different outcomes. That's these guys outside of the gate shouting, Lord, Lord, they went in the other direction to those who went to Ionian life. So key for us to understand that. John 5, 28. Do not matter with this, for an hour is coming when all... That's all with distinction. That's all got in a specific group. Because not everybody is going to get raised when Jesus Christ comes back. Who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, for years of my life, I was looking at two different groups here. I was looking at all the sinners on the outside of the church, and I was looking at the church. Oh, that's life. Because if you're redeemed, then you're raised to life. Yes, you are. But to two different outcomes. Because this is not talking about people outside of the church. Because the people outside of the church, we're going to read it today, are dealt with in the great white throne judgment. Which is after, yeah, the parousia. After we have been gathered, we have been judged. Yeah, for the good and the bad. Now look at St. Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Get that? So that each one, no one missed, may receive what is due him. What for? For what he has done. Past tense. He's already done it. In his body, whether good or evil. You see that? That's why there's two outcomes in the first resurrection. There's good, I only own life. There's evil, the unjust, to abhorrence and contempt. Go see it. So we now know that none of these references that we just read about are concerning anything but the redeemed. It's firmly focused on the redeemed. That's where God's absolute focus is on those he has called, on those he is calling. That's his focus. Yeah. And now we're going to go into the great white throne judgment. And really, all we're going to do here is we're going to read the scripture. Yeah. Because for me to think that I can elaborate on this in some great insightful way, I'm kidding myself on. These are the greatest words that were ever written. How do you write a book that's greater than that? Yeah? So, Revelation chapter 20, and verse 4. And when I saw thrones... Now, this is a revelation given to the Apostle John. Yeah? Remember? Because when Jesus was on earth, when Paul was on earth, they were not reading the book of Revelation. You get that? They didn't have a nice leather-clad Bible under their arm going about the countryside. Yeah? So when Paul was referring to a long time ago the promise that was given about Ionian life, life of the age, he had to be looking back away. Because this hadn't been written. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. And when I, see, when I read that, I think, what happened with more abundant life? Beheaded! Yeah. Put that up with your billboard. <laughs> See how many people you get coming to church. Yeah. They would, they would be off their head. Those who had not been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It doesn't say the reign stops. So many people are talking about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That is wrong. Why? Because they're going outside of the scripture and imposing a meaning on that that doesn't tie with scripture. Because it tells us he reigns into the ages or the ages or the ages. This 1,000 years is depicting Satan bound for a 1,000 years. Don't go beyond that. It doesn't say Jesus Christ is going to reign for a millennium. Yeah. That's how subtle some of these things move in. The rest of the dead did not come to life until... Do you remember the many in Daniel? This is dealing with the rest. Those who were not dealt with in Daniel, those who do not belong to Christ, 
are getting dealt with until the thousand years will end. So we've got Jesus Christ coming back. We've got the judgment seat of Christ. We've got those who are deemed to rule and reign with Christ. We've got Satan bound for a thousand years. Then, now does it tell us exactly when? It doesn't say two, one thousand and one, does it? It just says then. Leave it at that. It doesn't mean you're standing there with your watch at the 1999 year and saying, hold on, where is he? You know, the, the, the dead aren't getting raised. We've got to leave it as the scripture says. Yeah. This is the first resurrection. So it doesn't specify the exact time, does it? If I say to Anne, I'm going out, darling, as I always say, yeah, going out, and I, I'm going out, and it's, it's 10 o'clock, I'll be back in after 10. I could turn up at 3 in the morning, couldn't I? Yeah. Now, if I had said, I'll be back home at quarter past 10, or 10.15, as they say in this country, yeah? <laughs> 10, 10.15, she could start looking at what, you're late. But the scriptures don't tell us. It just says then, after that thousand years, sometime after that thousand years, this is going to happen. Yeah. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. And they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Yeah. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. There's why the thousand years is in there. Because he is going to be held and bound during the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. He is going to be bound. But listen up. Jesus Christ's reign doesn't stop. When Satan gets out of that pit, when he's released, guess what? Jesus Christ is still reigning. Those people who rule and reign with Christ are still there in their imperishable body. And look at what happens. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. The number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. What does that mean? It means Ionium. Yeah? It means an unspecified period of time. So we don't know how long that is. And ever, just for the emphasis, yeah, an unspecified period of time. Then, when? We don't know. Yeah, it just says then. So there's no specific time frame given. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky and fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw who? The dead. Yeah. Those who are not belonging to Christ, this we're dealing with the outsiders now. Yeah. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Have you ever seen somebody dead standing? Have you? They fall over. But they're depicted as dead. Standing. Now they've been made alive. Yeah. But they're standing dead, according to the scripture. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what, what they had done. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead. Do you understand how miraculous that is? If you have, thousands of years ago, been cremated, 
and strewn all over the Pacific Ocean, God is pulling us together. And remember, he did that in the first resurrection in Ezekiel 36-37. DJ and I were talking about that. The bones coming together, the flesh coming together in an imperishable spiritual body. Fantastic. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were what? Judged. The judgment is coming. This is not talking about us. We've already been judged. We're already, if we're deemed to, rule and reign with Christ. We're watching all this going on. Because the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ continues through this time. It didn't stop at the thousand years. There's a thousand years depicted as, hey, Satan's getting out. And what does God say? He says he's getting out for a short time. How long is that? You don't know. Why? Because God doesn't tell us. He says a short time. Now, I keep asking the question, what's a short time with an eternal God? He doesn't have any concept of time. He's been there always. There is no beginning, no end. But it's a short time. We know that because he told us. So whatever that is depicted in his mind is a short time. I don't know what it is. And neither do you. Don't write a book about it. Then death, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. But do you notice there's no mention of what happens to those whose names were found in the book of life. You notice know that? Now bear in mind, we've already been dealt with. Yeah. We're ruling, if we're deemed worthy... Rolling and reigning with Christ. This is talking about a different situation. This is talking about the dead. Yeah? They're raised dead. But we know from this, some of them are found not in the book of life, and some of them are found in the book of life. But he doesn't tell us. And guess what? Altogether, we don't know. <laughs> okay? And unless... You know, don't listen to this guy. Well, yeah, but I know. Oh, you do? So you're writing another epistle that we didn't know about. I don't think so. Guys, if we don't know, we've just got to pray to God that either we don't see it and he hasn't revealed it to us or it's not in the scripture. And believe me, most of the time when he doesn't reveal something so blatantly obvious as this, it's not in the scripture. Don't make it up. Start another church. 38,001 denomination. But do you notice something here? It's only now that death is done away with. We've had a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, which is continuing. We've had a thousand year reign during that period where Satan's tied up. He's released for a short time. He deceives, he catch that. He deceives the whole world. That is during the reign of Jesus Christ on earth, ruling and reigning with those who belong to him and who have been deemed worthy, he deceives the whole world. We're watching this going on, guys. If we're there with Jesus Christ in our imperishable bodies, we're watching it happening. It's incredible. You're not going to heaven when you die. It's not all over then. It's just starting. You go to the movies, you get the popcorn, the adverts are on, the movie hasn't started. It's starting now. The lion is roaring. It's so exciting, this guys. It's so exciting that we will be, you know, if we're deemed worthy to rule and reign with him, 
we're going to be watching all this happening in an imperishable spiritual body. But do you understand? Death has not been done away with. Why? Because it's getting done away with here, which is a period of time beyond and during the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. But when death is done away with, it's going to be a great day. But do you remember when we looked at outer darkness? That is not a good place to go, guys. That is something that we should avoid like a plague. Why? Because it's depicted as being a place where he, that Satan is cast into. Now we know the people getting cast into that are redeemed. So they're not going to have the second death. We know that. But it's not a good place to hang out. We're going to avoid it. Why do, how do we avoid it? We go to Matthew chapter 5. We start reading towards that narrow gate of Jesus Christ. And we start to change. Because he's told us how to do it. It's not as I say, you just giving your heart to Jesus one day and thinking you can just live your life the way you want and then turn up at the judgment seat, get a pat on the back, Jesus with a smiley t-shirt on, giving you rewards. It's, it's dependent, the judgment seat of Christ, we read it earlier, it's dependent on what you've done to get the message. It's what you and I are doing. Not what we're going to do, what we're doing now. So today is the day of change. You're not guaranteed the next breath. And neither am I. So we've got to change now. But the changes are fantastic. Because we live in love. We serve the brethren. We're stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Fantastic. We give a drink to our brother. We give food to our brother. We visit them in jail. Yeah? And we get persecuted for it. But who cares? Because we're looking beyond this into the magnificent, glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the moment you stop looking at that, all of this stuff here that Paul was talking about, because remember, he called all of that stuff that he was going through light momentary affliction. You think this is bad on my back, all these stripes? Just wait till you get out of darkness happening. And just wait until you see the magnificent light of the glorious kingdom of Christ. Get a glimpse of that. And you won't be worried about what's going on in your life. It's fantastic. Because the moment we don't do that, we start getting bogged down. Life takes on a totally different meaning. The priorities of life drown us. And we don't walk through that narrow gate. Yeah? So do you see why God spent so little time with it? Great white throne of judgment. We're not, it's not deemed for us. It's redeemed or taken care of at the judgment seat. We spend so little time with us, and that's why we spend so little time in the outer darkness, because he does. He didn't spend a whole three records in the book of Matthew that dealt with outer darkness. Why? Because it's not his priority. But read about the changes that he wants to bring about in our lives so we make it through that narrow gate. You'll be a little while reading that. Because it's all throughout the scripture. Yeah? So we've got to get that, these priorities so set in our lives. Yeah? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your truth. We thank you, Father, that we can come to your scriptures and not go beyond what is written, Father, and not guess, but go by the truth of your scripture. Limit ourselves to the truth of that scripture, Father, so that we can rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. 
Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for all of those tuned in. Father, that you work mightily within all of our lives to open our eyes of our understanding in fantastic ways that we can serve each other greater, that we can walk in love with one another, that we can be deemed worthy of the judgment seat of Christ, Father. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.